you've stumbled onto the sleeping giant. Let's broaden our minds. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sleeping Giant Podcast. I'm your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte, and I'd like to say thank you for joining me once more. Wow, these are some crazy times we're living in, folks. Between a global pandemic, ignorant state representatives, and a 'er ne'er-do-well commander-in-chief, it is a wonder I'm even able to release a show for you all this month. Now, throw in the fact that uh, I live in Florida, which is teeming with supporters and sub-middle-class clones of the aforementioned public servants, you have got a soured and sweaty recipe for all kinds of not-so-good times. Holy shit. Anyway, I just couldn't allow all that garbage to keep me from working, so I am proud to say that we've got Mr. Steve Marcotte back on the show to continue our discussion of John Wick with an episode featuring the second film in the franchise. Also, stick around after the discussion for a very swank John Wick-shaped stinger coming from my good friend Mr. Luke Summerfield. Y'all go on and get comfy because we are about to begin. Ah, where to even start? Where to even begin? in these strange and unusual times in which we now find ourselves all living. I thought that it would be prudent to go ahead and talk about what's going on. I think at this point, if I were to act like there wasn't anything going on and and that we weren't in the midst of a global pandemic, that might be kind of weird. I know that sometimes we want to listen to things to, to get away from the issues at hand or the things that are bothering us, but I did think it would be a little strange if I didn't at least acknowledge the fact that we've got some weird shit going on out there, man. Uh, you know, it's a pandemic. We, you know, we're not the only ones involved in this. This is the entire world that's facing this particular issue, and I think everybody has their own attitudes and opinions as far as uh, what's happening out there. I just ask that you. You know, do your best to educate yourself and at least acknowledge the fact that we are in the midst of a bit of a situation. Uh, that's the that's the weird thing about 2020 that uh, that I find just strange and and again very interesting. It's actually not been Deep Trump that has been the biggest antagonist this year, but coronavirus. And what's funny is that the main difference between these two infectious biohazardous hellspawn is that the virus is actually neutral and literally kills people uh, as opposed to making you wish rather that you were dead after listening uh, to their fucking drivel for any period of time, no matter how brief. Now, one of the other interesting things that I found out about coronavirus uh, or SARS-CoV-2, corona is actually the Latin for crown, as in, you know, the shiny round thing that sits on top of your head. And it uh, it comes from the peplomers that protrude from the, uh, the virion, which gives it the appearance of a solar corona. And on that, on that I'm going to have to call bullshit, okay, because I have played Dr. Mario, and I never saw anything resembling a little sunshine at all. And uh, I think that we all know that viruses have little goblin faces and pointy ears. 
If I'm wrong, go ahead. Let me know. Um, okay, so this whole thing, uh, obviously, it's it's a big deal. And uh, it, it's definitely affected a lot of our lives, some of us more so than others. But one of the more interesting things, especially as a podcaster who focuses on uh, pop culture, film, television, uh, comic books, etc., um, it's had a massive impact on on those things for us. It's had a massive impact on on media in general. I would say that it's it's fairly clear to see that several movies that perhaps we were looking forward to have been delayed as far as their releases are concerned. Now, these films that um, were were done, these films that were complete and ready to be released, have actually seen their release dates pushed back. I'm assuming that's from a uh, a monetary perspective. We I'm, I'm sure that these people want to see. Um, their films do well on the opening weekend, and obviously they're not going to do very well at all this time. To my knowledge, the movie theaters or the cinemas around town where I live have actually been shut down since the middle of March. I think that uh, Regal was one of the first to shut, and then uh, the others followed suit. We do have an AMC here, and I was reading recently that AMC as a company may not even reopen. They may not survive this whole thing, which is very unfortunate for those of us who prefer AMC movie theaters. Of course, it's extremely, extraordinarily unfortunate for those employees of AMC movie theaters as they may not have a job to go back to. So films that are in production obviously have been halted. Uh, I'm sure I can't say that that's true for every film in production, but several of the ones that uh, I personally have been looking forward to have uh, have halted. Now, the the big one that I find probably the most frustrating is uh, Diamond Distributors have halted completely. Um, there are no new comic book releases. In, well, I don't want to say indefinitely. I think the last thing that I read was that they don't have plans to distribute new comics to retailers until August. Now. That's that sucks. That sucks in a big way um, because that counts for digital media. Also, I believe that Marvel and DC are also halting the release of their digital media. So even if you are one of those uh, guys or gals that gets their comic books on your tablet or likes to download and read them digitally, uh, you're still affected by this. So that's that's a tough pill to swallow right there. And Diamond being uh, or holding rather, I should say, a what pretty much amounts to a monopoly on new comic books and, and the distribution of those books really, really has an impact on local comic book sellers and retailers. Now, there are some independent outlets out there that, uh, you know, they're more or less free to do what they like as far as that distribution is concerned. But all of your big ones, uh, you know, your Marvels, your DCs, your Booms, uh, your Image Comics, you know, we're, uh, we're just not going to see anything new from them for quite a while. If what I, if what I've read is, is true. And if I'm understanding that correctly now, of course, for those of you listening, if that's not the case and you have information that, uh, that might clarify this a little bit or shed some light on it, please, please let me know. Uh, you can actually fire me a message if you like. I'm most active on Instagram you can find me at the Sleeping Giant Podcast. That's at the Sleeping Giant Podcast. 
You can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the sleeping giant podcast. And if you really want to get in touch with me, but you aren't into those two platforms, you can find me on Twitter at TSG underscore pod. And I think, I think that pretty much wraps that up. Okay. Now on the plus side, there have been some benefits to this whole thing. And you know, just being outside, you can almost feel it. And I don't want to get too esoteric with you guys, but uh, but nature does seem to be creeping, swimming, crawling, and otherwise uh, running back into its usual habitation. And, and this is something that, this is extraordinary. And I have to say that if, if this is the price that we have to pay sacrificing these comforts and luxuries that we've taken for granted for so long. And I say we, all of us, these things that we've taken for granted for so long at the expense of the planet, I'd say that it's a fair trade. We can give those things up if it means the water is going to be a little clearer, the skies are going to be a little clearer, the air is going to be more breathable. I think that's a fair trade. Now, I'm no tree hugger, but I am far from the belief that human beings are uh, the most significant life forms on this planet. I, I don't think that that's true. I, I think that we like to think that it's true, um, but I think that it's far from, from a objective truth. Now, um, judging by our current run and what we've decided to do, the space that we've been given, I think that it's definitely time to take a step back and, and maybe try things just a little differently. Again, if, uh, if you'd like to share your thoughts on that, please hit me up in those areas. And if you disagree with me, please send me a message on Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Let's talk about it. I'm curious to know what you think. But anyway, you know what? Let's, let's move away from, from the seriousness. Let's move away from, from all those things that you didn't open this podcast to listen to. Uh, I have Mr. Steve Marcotte. He's going to be on the show in just a minute here. He's come back to talk John Wick chapter two with us, which I'm very, very excited to share with you all. Uh, as you know, uh, Steve Marcotte is my father and an all around cool guy and just a blast to talk flicks with. So, uh, without further ado, let's, uh, let's get on into that. Dad, are you there? I'm here. Excellent. Okay. So I am, quite glad that I was able to get those technical difficulties out of the way and we're finally recording. No problem. No problem. Yep. Sometimes it really is as simple as, did you turn it off and turn it on again? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In this particular case, I wasn't able to, uh, for whatever reason, my laptop wasn't recognizing my Yeti and I had unplugged it, plugged it back in, checked the, uh, Check the audio drivers. I looked for the device to see if it needed to be reset. Couldn't find it. So I moved it to the other laptop <laughs> and it worked just fine. So I was like, well, you know what to hell with this. So I just turned off the laptop, plugged it back in, and it was as if nothing had gone wrong. Always the way it goes. Yeah. Well, fortunately, because that's, that's not always the way it goes. Sometimes <laughs> it's just dead. Yeah. <laughs> or... uh as the as in the case of that PlayStation controller that I had that just bit the dust, it had started drifting. Oh, that's and not good. Uh, no, I mean I didn't really use it all that much in games where it mattered, but uh, 
you know, Izzy plays Minecraft a lot and, and she was having a hard time with that. So I, I took it apart and uh, that was an ordeal in and of itself. And uh, I, I cleaned the, uh, the connectors, uh, the small bits of wire inside of the controller, put it back together and it was worse. So I screwed up somewhere, evidently, and I don't know. It's neither here nor there. I'm glad that I have two controllers now, finally. I've, I've had an Xbox and or a PlayStation for the last six or seven years, and I never had more than one controller. So now that I have two, uh, Izzy and I have been playing Doom, which is <laughs> it's pretty awesome. We're good to hear. <laughs> yeah, she loves it. She's all about those death matches. <laughs> But she does like cooperative play, so that's good. Oh, that's good. That's good. Playing Doom with the old man, shooting some guns, slaying some demons. Yeah, yeah. What have you been up to? <laughs> uh, not much. Still doing my chores. Uh, still playing Fortnite. Um, just trying to fill the day. How's that going? It's uh, what's new and what's new in Fortnite? Uh, well, it's the second chapter or season two of the second chapter that began. Some time ago, uh, the second chapter had, had a different map, but it's pretty much the same old Fortnite. Uh, it's uh, it's got uh, another, I think, uh, month before the next season wraps up. So, and how does that work as far as the seasons go with a game like Fortnite? Uh, it's generally about ten to twelve weeks per season. They add new elements, new gameplay. Um, new POIs. This time uh, they added um, uh, the term non-playable characters. Um, oh, NPCs. NPCs, yeah. Very, yeah. Uh -huh. very familiar with those. Yeah, so uh, it, it just adds another element to the gameplay. It's a good way to uh, pass the time. Yeah, that is pretty cool. Yeah, we love those NPCs. You break out your D20 and you got yourself a and d session right there. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I mean... Um, that's the I don't want to say the entire concept of D and D is built on non-player characters, but as a DM, you create not only the worlds but characters for your players to interact with. So, as a DM, I have basically a sack full of non-player characters that if I haven't designed specifically for the game mm -hmm. or to uh, progress the characters along, I Basically, I use the dice to create a set of random statistics for, say, two dozen or so characters, um, different features, accents, attributes, etc., so that as the players progress through the campaign, if they, you know, because D&D is an open world experience and it's up to the players to uh, to decide what happens, I have all of these backup creations that should they run into this place or that place, I've got characters that I can just insert into the game on the fly. Huh. Okay. So it's uh yeah, Dungeons and Dragons is great. You know, I, I actually have a feeling that you would probably enjoy it if you ever started playing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tabletop. You have to find a good group of people to play with because the chemistry is very important mm -hmm. uh, between you and the people that you're playing with. But if you get a good DM, which I have been told that I am one. Well, I'm um, sure you are. You get a good DM, you get somebody that's creative and somebody that can um, improvise quickly, then you uh, you can have yourself a real good time. And it's very easy to lose hours and several cans of beer um, <laughs> while you're playing that. So 
And and it gets to the point too, depending on how much you drink, where the math <laughs> kind of stops mattering, uh-huh. and it's just more about the fun that you're having, interacting with each other as your characters, and and having fun in the world. So I, I'm a big fan of D and D. Well, that's nice. Yeah. But uh, anyway, uh, tonight we are going to be talking about the sequel to John Wick, uh, the film that we discussed the last time we were together. So this is John Wick Chapter 2, or John Wick 2, which, uh, uh, when did this come out? 2017? Does yeah. that sound about right? Yes. 2017. Okay. Yep. Yep. So... I think that we talked about it a little bit during our John Wick episode that uh, you and I came to these films a little bit late. Is that right? Yeah, very much so. I was very much late. Um, one had already come out and gone to video streaming. I missed the whole thing. I think I, I started watching it on um, regular cable. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... Um, I, I don't know what, what led me to it, but I think I picked it up on TBS or whatever uh, mm-hmm. premium, not premium cable, but just your basic cable and was really blown away by the, by the action. And I'm a big Keanu Reeves fan and even more so after seeing these movies. Oh yeah. And um, I don't recall, I, I know I didn't see two in the theater. Uh, I think uh, I knew enough about it. I think I bought it when it came out on digital mm, and, yeah. and watched it watched it then and really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, same here. I Except I'll go you on further, and I think that, and I don't remember what we were going to see. It might have been either Avengers Endgame or maybe even Infinity. No, I think it was Endgame or maybe even Captain Marvel. I'm not sure. I'm pretty pretty certain it was a Marvel movie, but um, we were at the cinema and I saw a, a poster for John Wick 3 and I was like, wow, they've already made three of these. And, uh, and at that point, I had been kind of curious about it. And uh, I, I know that I had seen maybe one of the hot toys that had come mm-hmm. out a couple years prior. And I was like, all right, well, I'll check this out, especially after I found out the premise of the film you know, uh, bad guys, kill guys, dog guy kills bad guys. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm sold. So I saw the, the, the poster for John wick three. And then I watched one and two back to back, which in retrospect, I wish that I just would have waited <laughs> because uh-huh. after I finished one and two, I had to wait for John wick three to come out. And that was very painful because I found that I really enjoyed those movies. Yeah. Yeah. They're really good. Really good. So yeah, in the uh, in the on demand get it right now society in which we live, having to wait a couple of months for something was just you know almost impossible. Yeah, that is tough. <laughs> I, I'm I'm but, the worst at that. Yeah. Yeah, I I just I try to I try to be patient and I try not to fall into that trap. But it's funny how society sort of pushes you along, uh, and you you kind of end up. You kind of end up in that track one way or another, whether it be through work or entertainment or whatever. But uh, but that's neither here nor there. So John Wick 2 uh, was released in 2017. Um, it's the sequel to John Wick, obviously. And this one was also directed by Chad Stahelski. Is that right? Yeah. Stahelski, does that sound right? Uh, sounds, um, sounds right. I, I couldn't even try to make sure I had the right pronunciation. Yeah. Yeah. It gets difficult after a while, but that's what YouTube is for. Just look up interviews and, and, uh, 
things like that and hope hope that you're getting the right pronunciation of someone's name that's also kind of the benefit of having a podcast and social media though is that people uh sometimes are quick to correct you you know because they're uh they're listening along in their car or whatever and they're just like oh my god and then uh but i welcome that i do because then i know something and we can you know we can move along so this uh, again uh, this film was written by Derek Kolstad as was the uh the previous film um and the uh Derek Kolstad's also the the creator of of John Wick and uh so he's still in control of the character and the development uh of the character and the situations in which he finds himself so this film unless i'm mistaken dad starts not necessarily right after the events of the first, but pretty soon thereafter. Pretty soon, yeah. And I, I have to say, I, I really like the way that they brought people in. Um, so it was both good for people who had seen the first movie and then for people who were not familiar with the John Wick universe and then putting them into the John Wick universe without mm-hmm. tedious exposition having uh the abram character peter stromar basically talk about the boogeyman oh yeah and intercut that with action was a great way to bring people right right back right. into it so john wick has the uh the car that he had borrowed from the previous film uh, i use the term borrowed i think somewhat usefully uh-huh. uh, loosely and uh, and he's pursuing bad guys in trying to get a key card. Get Is it. that right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. So the key card—it's the key card to the chop shop, which we're—I'm led to believe that Peter Stormare, his character, he is the uh, the proprietor of. Yes. Yes. Okay. And I must say that I agree with you on that point, and that you have one of the henchmen. He asks Peter Stormare, you know, why are we up and moving? What's this all about? And then, as you said, he recounts the events of the first movie. And the guy's response is, oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just like the first film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I love Peter Stormare, by the way. And when I saw him, I thought that he was going to be the big bad in this movie. I was kind of shocked that he wasn't in it longer. Yeah. The f- funny thing, um, we watched half of armageddon last night just stumbled upon mm-hmm. it and he's in armageddon he does a great job uh in armageddon so it was funny yeah. to see him in that role and then be talking about him tonight so that, that was pretty fun yep he uh i want to say is um i want to say that he's swiss i don't know he is not Ru- that- he is not russian no, he is. Nor is he German. Yeah. He is one of those guys that often plays a lot of roles, wherein he is uh, Eastern European, uh, uh, some flavor of Eastern European, uh, and he does so extraordinarily well. Peter Stormare, as I said, I'm a, I'm a very big fan of. Mm-hmm. I think the first time I ever saw him was in Fargo. Oh my gosh! Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> he was the nut job. Um, very, very scary guy in Fargo that fed Steve Buscemi into the wood chipper. (laughs) Yeah. So that was the first time I saw him. And then of course he was also in, um, the, uh, the Coen brothers. Uh, he was in the big Lebowski 
he was German in that. He was one of the nihilists. He's a nihilist, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> we believe in nothing, Lebowski. Yeah, yeah so uh, he, another one of those guys, Max von Sido, he, uh, God rest his soul, passed away very recently. Uh, he's another Swedish-born actor who oftentimes plays those Eastern Europeans and a lot of Germans. And mm-hmm. uh, he uh, he shares that with, with Peter Stormare and big fan of, of both of those guys. But yeah, I thought he was going to be the big bad. I was a little disappointed that he wasn't. But you know what? I'll never complain about Peter Stormare in a film. So yeah, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I think he served his role well, which was to lay the groundwork for uh, getting John Wick back into action. Uh, and then we go from there, of course, to the main story with the market. Right. And what's funny, too, before we go ahead into that, what's funny to me about that whole thing is that once he makes it to the boss, mm-hmm. to Peter Stormare, mm-hmm. uh, he pours a drink for him himself and for uh, and for Pete, and he says, peace, you know, can we have peace? And he was done. Like, yeah. that's what I love about this story is he had, he had gotten his car, smashed it all to hell, but it was a, it's the principle. He got it back. And did, you, and, uh, and did you notice he didn't kill anybody getting the car back? He messed. No, I did not. He notice messed that. some folks up, but he didn't kill anybody when he when he had mm. when he had the option of shooting a guy. He shot him in the legs. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, well, that yeah, that yeah. does make sense. I did manage to squeeze some special features in there, and I watched the John Wick kill count, uh-huh. where <laughs> and there were no scenes. Yeah, there were no no kills during the beginning, so you're you're right about that. Yeah. Um, but I love that in that he was like, "Okay, can we be done?" And he says, "Absolutely." And they drink. And one thing I noticed this time that I didn't see before is that after John leaves, uh, Peter Stormare's character drops his glass, and his hand is just shaking. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty cool. So. For all John knows, he is done. He has yep. completed his task, his mission. He's putting his guns away, and it's back to some semblance of a normal life for he and his dog. Mm-hmm. At least we hope so. But but then the doorbell rings. Yep. Okay, so what what is your take on the way that the sequel progresses the story and, and brings us back into the action with John Wick? Well, I think it did a great job of, of not overdoing the act. The action is great, don't get me wrong, but in any time you, you have a sequel, you have to find that mix between giving the fans what they loved about the original, mm-hmm. which was the determination of John Wick in a very action-filled way to accomplish his various missions. But then to add new elements, and then to con- in, with the possible, uh, possibly going forward with the story, so you're world building in a sequel, and that's what they did. So not only do you have what you love so much about the first one, was mm-hmm. Keanu Reeves' uh, black figure going out doing the business firmly determined but then you're building the world where you see a little more of the the background of what's going on you're introduced to more dialogue about the high table and the 12 and so you're adding that element which allows you to build on that in the third which we see in the third movie Mm -hmm. so 
you're able to take a little bit of the first, add an exciting element, which is a great storyline that encompasses the vast majority, or if not all of the second or the of the second movie, and then leaving mm -hmm. a little bit for the third. So we see the Bowery boss in the third, we Winston, of course, we hear more about the high table. But in this particular instance, with Santonio, you, you've got a completely different element. And then um, when John goes to Rome, you see more and more and more of the background of that mm -hmm. world. Kind of where different players fit into the game, where they are yeah, you've got, in their life. You've got the tailor, the sommelier, um, you've got the key master, you've got all these people. Uh, in the background, then you're then you're introduced to more characters like Common, who are mm -hmm. just like John, and John has a great deal of respect for him. For example, in the party, are you working? Yeah, how's it going? Yeah. You know, that, that dialogue. Sure. So, so what do you think of uh, the character of Santino? I believe it's Santino D'Antonio, uh, played by Ricardo Samarcio, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, have we seen him in anything else? I didn't recognize him. I I, I don't know him, but again, um, so many of the uh, characters in some of these movies are foreign-born, and, mm -hmm. and so they are doing, um, Ital in his case, he's done a lot of Italian movies, and so you've got a talent base that's there. Um, American artists, American audiences may not be that familiar with him, right? But he has an authenticity to him because he is an oh, Italian, Italian actor who has done a lot of good work. Uh, and then he's he's brought into this role. I, I oftentimes really appreciate that because you get a sense of being detached from Hollywood, which in turn, at least for me, it allows me to become more invested in the characters. Mm -hmm. And and they're far more believable if they're well acted and well portrayed. And I can't say, oh, that's, uh, you know, oh, that's, uh, say, Antonio Banderas, who I've mm -hmm. seen, you know, forever. Or, um, you know, oh, that's... I'll tell you what, though, that's not always the case, as a matter of fact, because you had mentioned the Bowery King um, and that being Lawrence Fishburne. I have watched these movies. I've seen John Wick a handful of times now, and now I've seen the second one twice. And I never once thought of Neo and Morpheus. Yeah. Not one time. Yeah. Yep, I agree. I agree. So that that is really cool. And that, I think, is very uh, exemplary of how... Um, how how deep this world goes and how believable it can be. So these are far more to me than just than just action films. It's 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 pure art in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um but uh so so the setup is that Santonio or excuse me um oh gosh, D'Antonio, Santino D'Antonio, he uh takes what is, I guess, some sort of blood compact that he's made with John. And the idea is that he's got this marker that he can essentially call 
upon John to perform a task because he has done something for John in the past. And we get get the idea. In fact, I think uh, Santino even says that if it weren't for him, his retirement would have not been possible. So there was a favor there. Yeah, exactly. And as we said in the last um, the last time we spoke, it, all of this just lends itself to a prequel, which I would love to see mm-hmm. more about what, what happened on that time for that mission he had to do. But yes, uh, a marker, uh, again, they're bound by the, uh, they're duty bound by the allegiance that they have through this organization that they're all part of, that that mm-hmm. he has to uh, do what the owner of the marker asks. Honor bound. Honor bound, yep. Uh-huh. And John, he doesn't necessarily plead with Santino so much as he firmly asks him not to do this thing. Exactly. Yes, yes. To bring him back into this world. Um, so he knows that he has to do it. He knows that he has no choice, but he does put up a very firm resistance, um, without refusing, which, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, so he, uh, I, I guess Santino sort of acquiesces to that and leaves, but in a, a, a swift act of retribution, he, he burns John's home to the ground with a grenade launcher, uh, which Totally sucks mm-hmm. and really leaves John no choice. But the interesting thing that I thought while I was watching that scene is that the picture of John and his wife melts. And to me, that sort of, I, I feel like that was a scene that sort of, it, it cut John loose um, in a way that I, I don't think that it erased the past for him. But I think that that sort of enabled him to immerse himself fully back into his work. Exactly. More and more as as the movies, both the second and third, progress, there's so little that ties John back to his life with Helen mm-hmm. that he, he has no choice but to move forward. So he begrudgingly, or grudgingly, I should say, accepts this duty and makes a visit to uh, the Continental, mm-hmm. not before he drops by a, uh, a banker of some kind and retrieves some valuables that amount to some of the gold that we've seen before, mm-hmm. as well as a, a pistol. So the meeting with Winston at the Continental is interesting because as he approaches Winston, he is finishing a meeting with what looks to be the person who mints the gold coins that that the organization uses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so again, as you were saying, that sort of, it, it's further world building and it adds more depth and nuance to what's going on. And in his meeting with Winston, we also learned that there are two unbreakable rules. Uh, and, and, and in so learning that we also learn of the men or there's the mention of the high table. So we get the idea that there's an organization above Winston and he is, but one spoke on the wheel. Uh, but there are two unbreakable rules and that is that blood cannot be spilled on uh, continental ground or business cannot be conducted yep. on continental ground. And that, um, Oh wow. I was on a roll there and I, I totally forgot where I was going. Um, you have to honor a, a marker. marker. That's mm-hmm. the other one. Yeah. 
So those are those are the only two unbreakable rules, which if you think about it, is pretty wild because it leaves the the margin for vengeance and retribution wide open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As long as those two rules are not broken. Yep. Yeah, and you they're and they're very the thing is they're very honorable people in their own way. Right. They're they're uh, contract killers, but they're they're honorable contract killers. Indeed. Which is almost <laughs> almost a counterintuitive thing to say when you consider what it is exactly John is doing back in business. Mm-hmm. Uh, Santino D'Antonio has asked John to kill his sister, who possesses a seat at the high table because she's blood and he cannot do it himself. Mm-hmm. So that creates sort of this interesting scenario in in which we're talking about honor, but at the same time, I think that it also allows people like um, Santino to operate under the facade of being honorable while ultimately being a coward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not a good guy at all in many different no. many different ways. He he's just not a good guy. Yeah, that's that's a big negative. It, so I was going to say, as we see later, he is really bad. Indeed. So I was kind of shocked when I was watching this the second time around to see how quickly things move. Mm-hmm. Uh, his uh, John's home was burned down. John's back into the game. John is back at the Continental. Uh, his mission is clear. He does not want to do it. And boop, he's in Rome almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that all happens very fast, which... I have to say I really enjoyed because I didn't feel like any time was wasted. Mm-hmm. Uh, every shot mattered. Every scene mattered. Every bit of dialogue mattered to bring you to this point as quickly as possible. Uh, so John is in Rome, which uh, he is in the, um, how how would you say, the uh, Continental d'Italia. D'Italia di Roma. <laughs> Yeah, it's just the so, continental Rome. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and you mm-hmm. can, exactly. You can imagine there are uh, continental hotels all over the world. Yeah, I would definitely like to visit the one in uh, Germany. I mm-hmm. think it would be be pretty sweet. So I, I think that, as you said, just seeing the depth of this world and seeing how there are these other places that resemble the continental that we've kind of grown to appreciate and know in the first film uh and, and you have to forgive me I, I don't remember the uh the italian continental hotel manager's name but he asks john he's like i have to ask you mm-hmm. <laughs> are you here to kill the pope yeah 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 <laughs> and john said, no <laughs> no no yeah that, that would be a real possibility that's crazy right. isn't it yeah. So John is at the uh the Continental in in Rome, Italy, and very quickly we see that he's he's got his digs kind of like the Continental here, but I got more of like a James Bond feel uh from from Italy. You know, you have the the wine steward um who incidentally is played by Peter Serafinovich who I recognize from um not Hot Fuzz, I'm sorry, but Shaun of the Dead, also <laughs> wow. as the voice of Darth Maul in Star Wars Episode One. So you had the character played um, 
by Ray Park with the voice by uh, by the uh, wine steward here, really? which is pretty cool. He's got a very good voice. Yes, he sure does. Yeah. Um, yep. So he only had like two lines in episode one, um, <laughs> but but as Darth Maul, but they were impressive nonetheless. So we have our sort of Q character in uh, old Pete here, mm-hmm. which I thought was very cool. And I appreciate all the terminology that they use for the weapons. I really appreciated the way that he described the contour of the grip and how it would uh, aid him should his hands become wet. wet. (laughs) Right off the bat, almost, he gets suited up. He he gets a new outfit, very slick. With a lining that's tactical. Yes, I love it. I love that. So it basically is is bulletproof, but as the tailor assures him that those impacts will be uh, quite painful. Mm-hmm. Now that he's suited up and has his array of weaponry, he's in the catacombs. And I think this this was the point that I realized that this was all moving very fast. Mm-hmm. And it's here that, that we have something that was established in the first John Wick movie is that that ambiance created by by light and music, which I really appreciate and I think is is a very cool thing. I know some people aren't into dubstep, but I think when applied tastefully, it it can be uh, it can provide a, a pleasing aesthetic. Mm-hmm. No, I thought it was good. I thought it was nice. It sounds great. On, that music sounds great on headphones. I have to tell you. Oh, I don't doubt yeah. it. I don't doubt it. This, I've I've yeah. been trying to go back and and acquire the uh the soundtrack through these various streaming services piece by piece and that one i i haven't been able to find in its entirety maybe i'm just not looking in the right places but yeah so so pretty quickly he he enters the catacombs and uh encounters uh gianna d'antonio uh fairly quickly it's the night of her i think santino said coronation yeah um because their father had passed and and willed the seat at the high table uh, to Gianna. So yeah, he, he ends up in her company, uh, without really any upset. Mm-hmm. I did think it was very interesting. The, the interplay between them again, you see this, this sort of, as he enters her, uh, her sanctum as it were, uh, with this really luxurious bath, the, the way that they communicate is very interesting and that there's no, open hostility towards either of them you know a job is a job is a job mm-hmm. uh i thought that it was interesting though that she says to john she, well she asked him what was her name this woman whose life has ended my own mm-hmm. i thought that was a very nice touch yep yep and and she she knows what he's there for of course oh yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely and, and the thing i think is very interesting uh as well is that Whenever John is asked, who basically asked you to do this? He he mm-hmm. says he's not afraid. He doesn't hesitate. Um, there's no reason to hesitate. There's no reason to equivocate. He just says it was your brother. Yeah, just the facts, man. Yep. yep. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was funny. I, I'm not one who counts dialogue, but mm-hmm. uh, for a good three quarters of that movie, uh, Keanu Reeves has very little dialogue. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, he really doesn't have a lot to say. No, 
No, he doesn't. I mean, there there's not much for him to mm-hmm. say. <laughs> you know. Um I did really like that scene though, because you have this you have a situation, and this is an action movie. Um the actress playing uh, Gianna D'Antonio, gorgeous woman. And in this sort of scene, you know, she's in the bath and she disrobes and it, it really kind of turns it on itself because normally you have this scenario and it's like, oh, there's this beautiful woman. She's naked now. Mm-hmm. But in this particular instance, it's not really a sexy thing. It's like she is bare right there before John and takes her own life. Mm-hmm. So that scene was pretty powerful, I thought. I, I didn't necessarily care for some of the blood effects, but as far as her character is concerned, despite the fact that she was not in the film very long, you knew that she was a woman who did not F around. Mm-hmm. She took she took full control of the moment and, and was extremely confident even on her way out. I, I have to say that scene was very unexpected for me. I, oh, yeah. I did not see that coming. No, I, I thought that something was going to stop John. Mm-hmm. And again, that that sense that everything is accelerated and moving so fast, he completes his task in the first quarter of the movie, it seems. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, of course, upsets do happen. <laughs> um, but let me ask you this. So he, he's holding her hand after she cuts her the arteries in her forearms mm-hmm. and she's in the bath and she's dying. And then he shoots her in the head. Mm-hmm. So did he shoot her to speed up her passing or to complete the task the way that he was meant to complete it? I think uh, to complete the task because there had to be evidence that he did the job. Right, and he has to okay. he has to follow through, and that's what he did. Okay, and that's what I thought. I just wanted to kind of see where you were at on that, or or if we were on the same oh, yeah. same page. Yeah, so, yeah. so we had met Common's character Cassian briefly um, during the introduction of the character of Gianna, mm-hmm. and I have to I have to be honest, I don't know much about Common apart from seeing him in this film, and he is really good. Yeah, I <laughs> so, I didn't know who he was. I, I didn't know until much later uh, that he's a, a singer. Is that right? Uh, something to that effect, a musician of yeah, some kind. Yeah, Again, yeah. I don't know. Um, I know he exists. Mm-hmm. I know of him, but I'm not familiar with his body of work or what he does. Um, so really, the character of Cassian is all I know about uh, Common, and that's a pretty good start. And, but um, he's not an actor per se. That's not his main... No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's been in some films. Yeah. Um, but uh, so this is but this is really all I know of him, and and it's after he leaves, and I I think that in this moment he asks John if he's working. Mm-hmm. John says yeah, and he asks good night, uh, uh, or how does he say it? Good night. I'm afraid so. Yeah, or or was it the no, other no, way I, around? I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Good night. How so? Cassian knows immediately that <laughs> that John was there for his boss. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, which you get the notion that they were extremely close to one another, um, Cassian and Gianna. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, you've you've got another close quarters fight in a crowd. Um, you know, while loud music is playing, and I did notice this time 
that people did notice the gunshots. <laughs> they were very aware yeah, of what yeah. was going on. Yeah, exactly. Um, which, which I thought was pretty cool. But yeah, the the thing about now we talked about briefly Common not being an actor necessarily, and I don't really know anything about the man outside of John Wick. But I did watch um, a couple of the special features and watched some of the training that went into the this fight choreography and this gunplay and and so you, so you got a guy like this who's just thrown head first into a film like John Wick and is able to hold his own mm-hmm. to that's incredibly impressive to me mm-hmm. oh yeah 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 and and that just yeah he he did a great job uh, and you've got to commit you've got to commit to the training you've got to commit to the action you got to go into it all the way and he did he he really did a great job yep i i don't think that people get the credit that they deserve for these types of films sometimes uh that's not always the case but you know and i'm one of those guys too a lot of times that when we're talking about you know actors and hollywood and these characters that they play and what they do to uh to research their roles and to really immerse themselves in these characters that they are portraying, you know, I, I mean, it's, it is impressive. Don't get me wrong. I have tremendous respect for, uh, for actors and, and what they do, uh, the craft as it were. But when you take something like John Wick, man, that's, that's a whole other level. Yeah, that's pretty. And it's a whole other level. And Common did uh, his own action uh, like Keanu did. I think the possible exception of uh, going down that flight of stairs in Rome. Mm-hmm. So, are you talking about when they rolled down the yeah, steps? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know what I thought of when I saw that? Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I don't know if you remember when they're <laughs> really? in medieval Europe and uh, Bill is um, or Ted is in the uh, the armor and he's fighting with uh, Bill and he, he rolls down the, or he's fighting with the other guy and he rolls down the stairs really? <laughs> like a yeah. long flight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that was intentional, but that's what it made me think of. <laughs> but there, I mean, obviously there are other callbacks in in John wick chapter two. Like I, I didn't even realize this. Uh, the, the film that was projected on the building and in, in the beginning of the movie was a, was a Buster Keaton film. Um, and there are many times throughout this, throughout John Wick two, that they've alluded to some of the, uh, to some of the silent films that that uh, that influenced the filmmaking. Oh, really, like uh, Charlie Cha- Charlie Chaplin and the House of Mirrors. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, which I never would have gotten, but it's cool when people do that when they kind of pay homage to these things that influence their way of thinking when they're creating movies and. You know, you see the scene in uh, this Charlie Chaplin flick, and he's in this house of mirrors that very much resembles the uh, the mirrors of the art installation at the end of John Wick Two. Hmm. So it's you know just little things like that are are very cool sure, to me. Yeah. Um, so maybe it was a Bill and Ted reference, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So just the choreography is amazing, and then uh, and we haven't mentioned Ruby Rose, oh, who love Ruby is. Rose. She's the, I guess you would say the the bodyguard or enforcer for Santina. Yeah, Ari- like the Aries. Her name is Aries. Yeah, and 
one of the more outstanding character traits is that um, she doesn't speak, but she does sign, yeah, yeah. which I think is very cool because when she talks to John, he also signs. So that, again, is, is sort of demonstrative of the level to which these people, the characters, I mean, are committed to learning mm-hmm. as much as they can, whether it be through communication or uh, combat. They're very learned people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which I think is very cool. But but yeah, she uh, just her her whole deal in this movie is very cool. And I really enjoyed seeing her in it. I have not watched Batwoman yet, though. I don't know anything about that. Have you been keeping up no, with it? No, I haven't. Yeah, I, I saw um, the Supergirl episode where she was introduced. Mm-hmm. And she did a good job, of, of course. Um, but no, I haven't seen any of the Bat Batwoman episodes. I don't know where to find any of that stuff, and I'm not as into it mm-hmm. as I think I would need to be to go out and and acquire all of those things. I've I've heard a lot of good things about it. Um, my friends have told me that the the Titan series, the live action Titan series, is really good. And I haven't gotten my hands on on that either. I'm just, you know, to be honest with you, I'm not a big DC guy, mm-hmm. um, apart from Batman. But then that's also Batman of like yesteryear mm-hmm. that I'm a big fan. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the concept of Batman, but more so the comics from uh, from the '80s, and uh, just just not really into into those comics and not really into those shows. I know Hannah's really into that, mm-hmm. uh, the Arrowverse. Yes. Yes, um, you can you can see it on the um, CW app for their commercials. Oh yeah, really? Oh, I, that's that's fine. That doesn't bother me. Yeah. I might de- I might dive into that one day, especially if they lock us all down and don't let us out of our houses. <laughs> um, but we'll see. So, uh, all right. So so John's fighting Common. He's holding his own. John is fleeing through these catacombs, and he's left these weapons strategic at various strategic points so that he can pick them up and fight his, his way back to the surface, which was pretty intense. Um, I know there was a scene specifically where John has the shotgun or a shotgun, mm-hmm. and he's got this guy pinned to the That's wall right. while yeah. he reloads yeah. a shotgun uh-huh. and then blows this guy yeah. away. That's just, that is intense. That is hardcore, man. That is hardcore. Yeah. Yes. Um. So I I can't remember what stops him. He gets out and someone hits him with a car. Yeah, Common hits him with the car. Oh God, that's gotta hurt. Yeah, that was that's probably the only scene in this. I mean, which is a ridiculous thing to say, but after everything that we've seen prior, that's the only moment where I'm like, oh come on, John, you <laughs> you wouldn't get up from that. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, that's one of the few scenes. Um, where Keanu is not performing the action, getting hit by cars mm-hmm. and uh, rolling down the steps. Yes. Pretty much. It's, that's Well, that'd be pretty hard on, I mean, that's got it. He's, he was what, 50, 51? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, his stud, oh, his, man. His stud double's name is Action Jackson, he calls him. So. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm assuming that that's uh, not after the Carl Weathers film. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I think the guy's name is. Okay. Yeah. I think it's just the guy's name. <laughs> so if 
if if somebody let's say theoretically or hypothetically speaking if someone saw your headshot and wanted you to uh submit a demo reel and then they offered you let's say 15 15 million dollars to undergo the training that Keanu Reeves has gone through for John Wick 1 and 2 would you agree and do you think you could do it well i don't think i could do it now but i could do a lot of it it's all about being in a in a base you have to start with a base and then work your way up from there. So if I were to go to the gym uh, and start a weightlifting program, um, I wouldn't necessarily be able to squat a lot tomorrow, but in about a month I could do a, a good amount. But um, as you know, I'm a distance runner. and So you don't start off running a, a half marathon um, at week one. You build up to it. Right. So it takes about eight weeks to build up to it. And with Keanu, he's added every day, eight to 10 hours, five, six days a week for... Uh, Was it six months? Yeah, a long period of time. Yeah, that is impressive. That that I, I just still cannot believe that's your job. Yeah. Like that's what you yeah. do if if you are, are part of these films and, and that's what you're doing. That's your job. Mm-hmm. Um very impressive, and it sounds a lot of fun. <laughs> sounds like so much fun. Yeah, yeah. Hard work, but a lot of fun. Um, so, so he escapes. Uh, he's hit by this car, and they they fight into the Continental, and they lose themselves in the fight, and they have to be reminded very sternly not to break the rules. Um, and so the two share a drink. They cool off, and uh, Cassian tells John. You know, it's like, I'm sorry, I can't let this go. Mm-hmm. Like, we're not finished. Mm-hmm. So he's got Cassian to contend with, which is a handful. But the other thing that is going on here, and this is where you learn, at least I felt you learn that Santino is just the worst kind of human yeah. being. Because he's pursuing John with Ares. And uh, he says to John, I, I don't remember the exact line of dialogue, but he says, what kind of brother would I be? If I didn't avenge my sister's murder, yeah. yeah. Um, and he had asked Eris if he was a loose end, and you know she she affirmed that he was in fact a loose end. Mm-hmm. So he, John has been double crossed, and then he's got Cassian, a man with whom he has some history, it would seem, and for whom he has a lot of respect. So in a way, he's lost uh, a friend. Uh, I don't know if you would go so far as to call them friends, but um, some someone that he respected is trying to kill him, and then Santino is trying to kill him. So he has no wife, no house. Uh, Daisy had been killed. He he has people that he respected gone in for him, and this basically this this job has just destroyed everything that he had built. So I I kind of when I was watching this, I had a thought. And it's really kind of an interesting analogy or metaphor for life in general, I think. And I've sort of come to this conclusion. uh, I guess it's taken me about this long to come to this conclusion, 35 years, is that it doesn't really matter who you are, what your degree of commitment and professionalism. It doesn't really matter what those are, because at any point in any at any time in the world, someone can just take a shit on that and have no regard for who you are and what you do. 
or, or how honorable you are. And it, it doesn't, or at least in relation to John's line of work, it doesn't save him mm-hmm. at any, at any point. Mm-hmm. It, and if anything, it just further damns him and mires him into this job that he was trying to escape from mm-hmm. sort of an analogy for life in general. But in the case of John, it's, it's that discipline and that, strict code of honor that keeps him from getting where he wants to be mm, yeah yeah well he's he's pissed now <laughs> he's really pissed yes and he has he, he has his uh, he has a self-appointed mission now and that is sort of what winston had alluded mm-hmm. to and that once this thing is done it's done and you know if john wants to seek retribution then he very well may and I just sometimes I wonder about guys in, in films like this, like the bad guy. It's like you've got to be some kind of idiot. <laughs> like, because at no point in the history of John Wick has anyone and I mean like the 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 rumor that surrounds him, the stories that surround him, like at no one no one point has someone gotten one over on John. Mm-hmm. So like who are you? Like why do you think that you're gonna be the guy to get one over? On the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Yep. Uh, with that said, John returns to America and returns to a world of hurt because Santino has opened a contract on John and seems somewhat reluctant to close the marker, mm-hmm. which I believe he has to do so at the behest of Winston. Yes, exactly. So here we are in a situation where John has all of these people gunning for him and that's demonstrated in what I can only refer to as a montage of mayhem and blood. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's actually done pretty well. A montage of mayhem is a good term for it. Yes. So he's got all of these attackers that the way that the scene is set up is, I mean, it is a montage and it flits from scene to scene of him dealing with these assailants from the beginning of the fight to the middle of the <laughs> fight to the end of the fight. And at one point in the middle of the fight, he's, he's in an altercation with, with two gentlemen, we'll say, and he murders it. I think it's two. Yeah. It's definitely more than one, two yeah. guys with the pencil. Yeah. So finally, yeah. finally we see another pencil trick. Yeah. Yeah. What sucks here is that the Blu-ray I was watching really started skipping. Ooh. Um, at this point. So when it started skipping, it ended up with Cassian and John in the train. They fought. Mm -hmm. And by the time it stopped skipping, he had stabbed Cassian. So did something happen in, in that moment before he incapacitated Cassian that I missed? No, it was just a fight. Um, So there were, there were two guys uh, that John killed uh, before he got into the train, and then Cassian and he fought in the train, and then the dialogue after John stabs Cassian, which I don't know if you you saw, he said the blade is in your aorta. If you pull it out, you will die. And and we get to kind of get a reference. That's an initial reference to something the Bowery King says later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so Cassian is slumped in the train car and John Wick uh, says, consider this a professional courtesy and then walks out. 
Right. So John is not heartless. No, no. It it would seem because it would have been very easy to kill him. So he's still. It seems like he's kind of grasping for some sort of ground to stand on, so that he doesn't have all of these people gunning for him. He needs people that that he can trust, because I think he's got a pretty good idea of what's coming. Well, and and there's a sense of honor uh, that that we see. Uh, between sure. the professionals, I well, I don't think he would have done the same for John though. So it's hard to say. I mean, I, I don't. What What do you think was the purpose in sparing Cassian's life? What was the message? I, I think that uh, John didn't have any ill will toward Cassian. John was just doing mm-hmm. a job. Now Cassian, to your point, his employer was killed, and the honorable thing would be to avenge the killer of his employer. But we know John mm-hmm. is, in some ways, a good guy. Uh, I know that's hard to say. Right. Or countering to it, if a guy kills people for a living. 116 people in the past two yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he respects Cassian. He respects him. And he had, no, he had nothing against Cassian. His mission was not against Cassian. Right. So it almost seems like maybe... You know, with him having defeated Cassie, and it's like, look, you had the fight, you did your part, you did what you had to mm-hmm. do, you lost. Mm-hmm. Can we call it done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gianna would be proud of you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so moving past this, um, John is looking for help because he has he has essentially nothing at this point. No, no one that he can fall fall back onto, mm-hmm. and where he puts a coin in the cup of a panhandler in the subway and this this guy and this is further further building the world and the idea of the the networks that some of these people run and manage um the the uh the panhandler takes him to the bowery king which did we ever hear that name in this movie um you know i don't remember i don't remember how i don't think we do Uh, i only recognized him as oh that guy yeah uh, and I was like, I realized that I had no idea what his name was, and I did not remember hearing a name. Um, so maybe it's in there. I'm not sure. But uh, so he basically, the Bowery King is played by Lawrence Fishburne. And, and I will tell you that when you're in the last 25 minutes of a movie, sometimes it's really hard to accept a new character. Mm-hmm. Um, someone that you haven't seen before. But I kind of feel like John Wick being is that it's this overarching story that is going to go through three films. I almost feel like it gets a pass for that. Where, what do you think? Yeah, I, as I mentioned um, when we first started speaking, when you have a successful first movie and you've given a clearance for at least the second one, you want to give yourself mm-hmm. the opportunity to continue the story. It could have John Wick could have ended at two. Technically, but obviously the way two ended, we knew there was going to be a follow-up. So mm-hmm. you're adding elements that will come through to fruition in the third. And, and we do see that, even if it's in a tangential right. sense. And what do you think about this character? What, 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 what kind of vibe is the Bowery King putting off that you're picking up? Well, I just think it's another part of the world um, that we're seeing being built. You've got the very sophisticated, very cultural, uh, aloof, if you will, 
uh, continental. But then you've got this other senior underground, uh, if you will, that is just as important in some respects um, in that it's opera it's got its own place there is a an ecosystem that we're seeing unpeeled and everything has its sure. place and i just think it's as you said it's a minor character uh if it didn't reappear in the third it wouldn't be that big a deal but we saw it reappear in the third it's it's a mechanism to get john from where he was to where John wanted to be, and it and it did it pretty it did mm-hmm. it pretty well. It didn't seem too far fetched. Um, not that we would accept anything in John Wick universe, but it's okay. I get it. I see where this is coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I get it. Okay, I I, I buy yeah. it. I think it's interesting too because, as you mentioned, they have this place. So you have to assume that they choose the life that they're leading, you know, which is what appears to be this, this vagrant sort of Mm -hmm. lifestyle, but you realize too, they're flexing gold. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Solid gold. So that is very interesting. So remember the Bowery King, um, uh, Lawrence Fishburne said he, he owed John because Mm -hmm. John cut his throat and said you have a choice you can either move your hand and kill me or you can keep it there and live so that sort of created this how did he say it's like he never no one ever sneaks up on him ever again i think was his Mm -hmm. point yeah so he is all seeing all knowing with his pigeons and his panhandlers which i do think i mean it's it's uh it's a trope i've seen a lot in stories especially D &D, now that we since we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons and uh, and those sorts of fantasy novels, you do see that a lot, you know, sort of like the, the all seeing, all knowing like beggar King Mm -hmm. or, or pirate King, or, you know, just some seedy character that, uh, that while you at first blush, they might seem uh, untoward and unkempt, Mm -hmm. you know, they actually have like this Robin hood is a good example. uh I think, uh I mean, that's, I mean, is there a better example than Robin hood? And his band of merry men. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's something that you see a lot. And but in this case, I do think it was it was very cool. Um, so he asks the Bowery King for help, and with a contract of seven million dollars out on John's head, he gives him a gun with seven bullets, a, a Kimber nineteen eleven with seven rounds. Yep, one one bullet each for million. each million. Mm-hmm. So obviously that's. As many rounds as has been fired in this film, you can well imagine that's not going to do John a whole lot of good. Yeah, we see we see the look on John's face, and well, I, I don't want to get too ahead, too much ahead. Um, well, I mean, uh, that's this is this is pretty much the end of the movie, so we don't have too much further to jump ahead to. Um, John is now on the hunt for Santino. He shows up. At uh, at his gala event, I guess to celebrate his his seat at the high table, mm-hmm. um, and everybody pisses off like pretty fast. Like John shows up and the room just clears. Yeah. Like like you said, they uh, they know <laughs> they they know it's going to happen. I think you had mentioned it at the at the the dance of the uh, the party, the coronation, that everybody mm-hmm. scattered. They knew it was going to going to happen. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. So Santino, he, he gets away. Um, and I think that, uh, as he's being pursued, he, he seeks the help of Winston, if I'm not mistaken. Um, uh, and I don't know exactly what he's trying to get Winston to do. I uh, know he didn't to help no, him. He, he, he runs to the, um, well, he goes through the art exhibit and, and then he runs to the mm-hmm. continental and he knows that he can just hang out in the continental as he says, he uh, says to John Wick, have you seen the menu here? Someone could spend a long time without, oh, without right. having the same meal. Right. Yeah. So he's, he's thinking he's just going to stay there. So, yeah, okay. I exactly. was, I was getting ahead this yeah, time. Yeah, so yeah. first there's the fight uh-huh. in the art installation. Reflections of the soul yeah. was the name of this thing, which I thought was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, maybe a little cheesy, but you get the idea, I think, that, you know, while John is here doing his thing, you know, maybe the question, maybe he asks himself the question, you know, what am I all about? What am I doing? Which in this scenario, apart from the beautiful choreography, and again, it had to have been so confusing being in that mirrored space. I, I couldn't do that. I would vomit everywhere. That fight, I think. Yeah, that fight choreography is amazing. Yeah, and that's that's where you get to really see the the fight or a one on one fight between uh, Eris Ruby Rose's character and uh, and John Wick, which is pretty cool because they really built that up, and I wasn't underwhelmed. I have to say. Yep, and but then you see how John considers her. He doesn't afford mm-hmm. her the same respect he did Cassian because no. he he pulled no. the the knife. Yeah, and I mean, in all fairness, she was not exactly respectful. No, 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 exactly to John. Not not one time, not mm-hmm. one time. She was extremely rude to him mm-hmm. from the get go, and uh, I don't know how she thought that was going to play out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, again, the the hubris of these characters as it relates to John was just amazing. That they just mm-hmm. they had no respect for John, and as you as you said, just. No respect for him at all. I, I do think that, I, I, and I'll say this now, I don't think that these films are for everybody, mm-hmm. um, but I think that for scenes like this, like Reflections of the Soul, like the fight between Keanu Reeves and Ruby Rose, if if you dismiss these simply as uh, just your, your basic action movie, I don't think you're doing yourself any favors. You're probably... You're probably really missing out. And I would think that that, to your point, I would think that's why they're so immensely popular because there's so yeah. much to them um, far beyond just, just an action movie. Yeah, you can you can pick and choose what you want to get out of it. Um, you, you can follow the, the story of John Wick. You can follow the 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 arc of vengeance and, you know, the hell that John's soul goes through in this journey. Uh, or you can choose to uh, admire the the cinematography because that in itself is a thing of beauty. Uh, the locations, um, the the color palette, the uh, the choreography. I mean, there's just so much to choose it is from. A, it is a well shot movie. It it really is. Absolutely. So if if you if anything, just put on the first one, check it out. And, uh, you know, if you don't like it, you don't like mm-hmm. it. That's fine. But I'll bet you that you'll find something to like about John mm-hmm. Wick. If it's, if it's not your bag, it's not your bag. But 
more more likely than not, you'll find something uh, to appreciate about these movies. And I mean, it's Keanu Reeves. Is there a person in the world that doesn't like Keanu I, Reeves? I don't know who that would be. He is the nicest yeah, man. I, I don't want to meet the person that does not yeah. like Keanu Reeves. But he is the nicest. Because they're probably a real drag. Yeah, he is the nicest guy, <laughs> too. I, 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 no one, I, I don't know of anybody who has a negative thing to say about him as a as a person. Yeah, he seems like a very stand-up guy, which is is so ironic that he plays this character like John mm-hmm. Wick and does such a good job with that because it's, I don't know, that's very funny to me. It's an interesting dichotomy like the saint that is the uh the sage like Keanu Reeves and then the uh Baba Yaga. And and a, a funny um, thing, have you seen Toy Story 4? I haven't. He I have is not. Boom Kaboom, which is the greatest right. Canadian daredevil there mm-hmm. is. You have to specify because <laughs> Yeah. I mean, how many Canadian daredevils exactly. are there? Yeah. So he's fun he, doing that voice. He's really fun. Yeah. Wow, I do need to see that. And it's been out for a minute, yeah. so I don't know why we haven't rented it. I, You know, the girls might have rented that and watched it while I was doing something else. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, that may have been one of those that I missed out on. But usually we watch all those movies together, so I would I would be surprised. Um, but yeah, so uh, back back to the defeat of Eris at the hands of John Wick. Um, he's basically narrowed... Santino D'Antonio's gang down and and he he finds him at the Continental and we briefly spoke of that uh, of that before I realized I had gotten ahead of myself so he is he's in a huff and he's talking to Winston and he's he's trying he's he's making these demands and asserting that he has these rights and privileges mm-hmm. um as I guess a member of the high table or having a seat at the high table. And, and Winston basically says, you know, insofar as the Continental is concerned, I'm the end-all, be-all. You have no <laughs> rights and privileges. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, and I think, too, I, I believe, we were talking about the hubris of these characters. I guess it stands to reason that in Santino's mind, if he were to become uh, a seat holder at the high table, he would be above... Uh, the rules of of normal day to day operations. I I can only assume that that's what he had in his mind. Mm-hmm. So he was immensely disappointed when when Winston told told him to go pound sand. Essentially, yeah, yeah. There there are rules that everybody has to follow. So being is that they're at the Continental now. John and Santino. Um, we have a really tense moment where uh, where Winston is urging John to to back off. You know, to walk away, to let this whole thing go. Uh, you, so, what 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 happens here at the Continental? Do you want to take this one away? You want to wrap this one yeah, up? Yeah, Santino is in um, in mid sentence, basically telling John, "Yes, be careful," and John shoots him in the head. Yeah, mid sentence. <laughs> John's not having it. He puts the gun down. It's the Kimber nineteen eleven, which is an important element in the. In the movie, he he's got more rounds for it. Um, in the next movie, I mean, he gets his dog and he goes home, and then next thing we know, no time has passed, uh, or little time has passed, and Sharon is there. Sharon says, "If you please, if you wouldn't mind, if you'd be, be so, so inclined, inclined. manager would like to speak with you." 
and John knows or has an idea what's going to happen. And they go to a park in Central, a part of Central Park, and there's Winston, and they have a conversation. And John asks, "Well, why am I not dead yet?" And Winston says, "Because I don't deem it so." And mm -hmm. he says, "Now," and everybody freezes. And then he basically tells John, "You have an hour, and then you'll be deemed incommunicado." Excommunicado. Thank you, excommunicado. Yes, and. John leaves, <laughs> and everybody is getting the message on that same Nokia slide phone. Everybody's mm -hmm. got the same phone. Yep. All of his rights and privileges have been revoked. Revoked. Hereby revoked. Yep. Man, and that's not a good place you want to be in if you're, uh, uh, if you're John Wick specifically. <laughs> yeah, and and that's the, how the movie ends, and that's. Yeah, and I I remember seeing the end of it, going, "Oh my goodness, what? How is John going to get out of this?" Yeah, he basically just starts running, yeah. mm -hmm. I think, and and the dog follows him. Very, that was the scene that really reminded me of, uh, or rather, I should say, the scene in one of the last episodes of The Mandalorian reminded me of uh, that scene from John Wick, where you know the all the bounty hunters and mercenaries have their their fob, and. Uh, the Mandalorian walks out and everyone's looking at their fob and it's ticking. Oh yeah. I think there are a <laughs> lot of parallels between the Mandalorian and John Wick. Yeah. And I'm not sorry yeah, for that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I very much appreciate yeah. it. There was one thing that caught my eye as I was watching this. And I know sometimes we talk about these things, um, how there are these things that happen on film, uh, that are very much intentional in the meeting in the park with Winston. I noticed that everyone else, is pretty similar looking. There are a lot of drab colors, um, a lot of browns and grays, but there's this one person who's carrying this huge bunch of very colorful Lose, balloons, yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and they're walking off mm -hmm. uh, to the top left of the shot. What do you suppose the significance of that is? That's a that's a very good question. I I did notice the balloons. Um, I did, um, mm -hmm. but I couldn't tell you what the purpose is of of that particular bunch of balloons as a, there may be somebody holding flowers that I just didn't notice either. Uh, maybe mm -hmm. it's just to add a, a, a sense of uh, realism, but yeah, you're right. Normally something that stands out to that degree has a very, very purposeful meaning. Uh, and I couldn't tell you what that is. I'm really, well, I'm gonna have to uh to brush up on my my Charlie Chaplin and, and Buster mm -hmm. Keaton, because maybe that's another reference that just is over mm -hmm. my head <laughs> right now that they put in there. But I'd be interested because it, it has to be intentional. Yeah, I, would think, oh, I did notice. So oh like, yeah, I I believe you're right. I did notice it. Yeah, I, it did not go uh, unnoticed. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where that's where John Wick three picks up. I mean, and, and there was some time obviously between the first and second film, but if Unless I'm mistaken, the third one starts pretty much like oh, right yeah, there, right. like right right at the end of the second yep, movie. It does. Sweet. It absolutely does. Well, we're we're going to talk about that one too for sure. Um, I'm glad that we chose to break these mm -hmm. up because I think it, it would have made for a longer podcast that wasn't necessarily um, as fun. I don't think we would have been able to get into as many of the details mm -hmm. as we did. And uh, I don't know if anybody would have listened to all of it, honestly. But uh, so I'm glad we broke it up and we are going to come back and uh, and talk about John Wick three. 
hopefully uh, in a couple shows okay. from now we're going to yep. do that. Will do. All right. Well, is there anything that you'd like to, to add about uh, John Wick Chapter 2 or, or anything that you'd like to say? Any closing thoughts? Uh, no, I thought it was a great, uh, great movie. Uh, it was entertaining. And as you had alluded to, mm-hmm. there's so much in it to appreciate apart from just the action. Um, uh, I think you were, you were spot on talking about the cinematography and uh, the wardrobe and all of the other elements and it just makes it a, a pretty fine movie. It's more than just an action movie. There were a lot of action movies in the seventies that were just vengeance filled. Uh, Charles Bronson did mm-hmm. a number of them. Um, and they did not have, I don't think, I don't recall them having uh, the completeness uh, of this storytelling uh, uh, that mm-hmm. the, this one does, and, and the first yeah, one, I think the, you're absolutely right as well. Yeah, they they are they are they are dense films without being overly complicated. Mm-hmm. I think uh, they're very lush, a lot to unpack, and definitely a lot to appreciate. And, and, it, and it's a and a, one one other thing, if I may. John Wick is a very flawed character. He is not glamour. Mm-hmm. He is not glamorized. In, in a sense he's just not he's a flawed character true yeah i mean yeah exactly he's the protagonist but but and in, in, in so being that he is not he's certainly not without sin and he recognizes he's flawed mm-hmm. he's very he's very self-aware that just you know just thinking of that and then thinking of the third movie that that we'll be talking about i'm so curious to see if the fourth john wick film is going to be the last john wick film mm-hmm. Uh, or if they're just going to keep making these until Keanu's too <laughs> too old to do the stunts. I don't know. So I, I'd really like to see how many arcs they can take this character through before it becomes mm-hmm. repetitive. Because as of now, um, I think that they are probably riding a very fine mm-hmm. line of, of that happening. So we'll see. I'm excited, though. I'm very excited. All right, Dad. I guess, uh, I guess that about wraps it up. Thanks again for doing this You're with welcome. me as, as usual. Welcome. My pleasure. Always very glad to have you. Thank you for asking. Absolutely. All right, then. We'll talk to you next time for John Wick Chapter 3. Okay. Parabellum. (laughs) All right. All right, y'all. That is our show. Thank you for listening. Thanks again, Mr. Stephen Marcotte, dear old dad, for joining me. I know I had to twist your arm a whole bunch to get you on here. Uh, So I do appreciate your time. Many, many thanks. Now, as far as what I said at the beginning of the show, I don't really want to get back into that. So I'd like that to be all that I say on the matter. However, I would like to add just one more thing, and that is wash your hands. You should have been washing your hands all day, every day, anyway. Just because we're in the midst of a global pandemic does not mean that you should have ever at any point stopped washing your hands and started during this time. If you have been keeping up with your hand washing, I strongly suggest that you continue to do so. Uh, Eat some food. Wash your hands when you're done. Wash your hands before you eat some food. Did you go to the bathroom? Wash your hands. Did you take out the garbage? Wash your hands. Diddle yourself. Do a little DJing. Wash your hands. That's it, y'all. That's all you gotta do. 20 seconds, 22 seconds, whatever. Sing happy birthday. I don't care. Wash your hands, folks. Okay. On that note, Mr. Luke Summerfield is going to play me out here 
with a sweet little number that he cooked up featuring some John Wick commentary. Hey, once more, I've been your host, Grayson Parker Marcotte. Thank you for listening to the Sleeping Giant Podcast. Until next time, y'all. Seven million dollars for your life. Seven million dollars is a lot of money, Mr. Wick. So I guess you have a choice. You want a war? Or do you want to just give me a gun? Somebody please get this man a gun. Let's go. John Wick 2 goes full on starters, mains, dessert, and of course, those free little after dinner mints. This film expands the mythology and builds a more in depth look into the guild and the deadly killers. Amazing performances by Lawrence Fishburne, Coleman, Ian McShane, and Sarah Finowitz. I thoroughly enjoyed the John Wick franchise. It captures what I loved about the movies from the late 90s to the early 2000s. Like Blade, Bourne and Matrix, to name but a few. I won't be checking out of the Continental anytime soon. And remember, no blood to be spilled on Continental ground. Tell them. Tell them all. Whoever comes. Whoever it is, I'll kill them. I'll kill them all. Of course you will.